You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Talk Recorded live. We want to welcome you to the worship service of the Homerville Church of Christ. This is a special service that we're having this week. It's the final night of our gospel meeting. We've had a great week with Brother Andrew Crow of the City Boulevard Congregation in Waycross, Georgia. If you get a chance to go and visit with them, we'd encourage you to do that. But we hope you'll be able to be with us uh, this evening. And, and if you aren't, but you're listening to this from the archives, you can go... Um, you can listen to all of the nights that we've had thus far as episodes 141 through 147 tonight. And we're glad that you stopped in. And if you're listening to this in the archives, you can uh, fast forward about 20 minutes or so. It's about 7.10 now, and we'll start at about 7.30. So in about 20 minutes, we'll get started. And so you can fast forward to that if you're listening in the archives. We hope that you will find everything done in accordance with the New Testament pattern. We welcome you to leave any Bible questions in the um, on our Facebook page. We will answer those with a Bible answer to the best of our ability as quickly as we can as we receive them. I hope you're doing well. We're glad you're here with us, and we'll be with you in just a minute.
doing this evening. I hope you're doing well. We have had a great week this week. There's been a little bit of a along the way. And I think we've got more time stuff this evening going around. The weather's doing what it's doing. And, but that's the way I always do it every year. So I guess it's just that time of year. So uh, glad everybody's had to be here this evening. Uh, hope you're doing well. Having a great week. Been a great week, Brother Andrew. He's done a fantastic job in the sermons this week. And encouraging and reassuring. And uh, it's just been a great week for the sermons and the time that we've been able to have together. Uh, he and I, but all of us together in the evening time. And so thank all who had anything to do with that. And everyone who's made the time in the schedule to be here every night towards what we're trying to do. It is amazing. Uh, we are glad to have those traditional witnesses, and we, if you will, got some volunteers to help us out today, or Brother Alex or y'all, uh, actually, I think he said he might have had some y'all, so he didn't follow that good. Uh, but here we are, we're singing the first song, we're singing 194. 194. And at the appropriate time, Brother Bob Miller, down her congregation, I want to lose our opening prayer. And then Brother Nick Smith, right here in Hopeville, on the end of the thing we're talking about, will lead us in our closing prayer. You know, right back, Brother Andrew, he's a preacher in the of our congregation. He has got a lot going on with his schoolwork, and he has a lot of podcasts. We have mentioned that. It's called Under the Juniper Tree on the Life Network. And I want to check that out because I've listened to several episodes of it, and it's been very good. And then regular preaching work there in Wake So if you've got a little place, it's just kind of out of schedule. Well, some of us have been fantastic. And uh, it's just kind of out of schedule there in Wake to be here with us this week. Thanks for that, and thankful for everyone being here this evening. Now we're turning it over to the next. One hundred ninety four. One hundred ninety four. We read of what the
carry your evil. You have a vessel around and keep it with your will. Please forgive this around sin. Repent and turn to thee. Peter wants to go to this time of listening and hearing from your word. Let the church at home this evening. I'd like to stay here longer
You know, Tuesday, Andrew and I had the opportunity to uh, speak to some uh, uh, middle school children about uh, our jobs. And uh, while kind of introducing me, Andrew mentioned the fact that I was the visiting preacher uh, doing the gospel meeting this week, and I couldn't help but think of a kind of a joke that I heard uh, when I was younger. I was supposed to be when I was younger. I didn't hear it in the future, but uh, this teacher was asking her students what everyone wanted to be when they grew up, and of course you had some say, well, I'd like to be a doctor when I grow up. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. I want to be a nurse and so on. And she got to this one little boy, and he said, I want to be a preacher when I grow up. And she said, well, why do you want to be a preacher when you grow up? He said, because I get to yell at people and get paid to do it. And then she goes down the line, and again, she gets more of the same. You want to be a firefighter, want to be a police officer. And then she gets to another little boy, and he says, I'd like to be the visiting preacher when I grow up. And she said, why would you want to be the visiting preacher? He said, because I get to yell at people, and I get paid for it, and people like my sermons better. I'm glad y'all laughed. The kids didn't get the jokes. But uh, it's been good uh, to be here with the Homerville congregation this week. I've enjoyed my time here. Uh, this is, uh, I guess you can say, home away from home as far as uh, congregations are concerned. I appreciate the people here, the good work that is done at this congregation. And it's just kind of sad that it's uh, coming to an end uh, this week as far as the gospel meeting. But uh, as always, I'm just very appreciative of the people that are here. As we study through the Bible, there's one thing that's going to happen to all of us. We're going to ask questions. As we go through it, we're going to ask questions about certain things that we're reading through. And the questions can range from a number of topics. Uh, I'll give you kind of an example. At City Boulevard, in our foyer, we have a box that says, Ask a Bible Question. And in front of it, we have uh, just a, a number of index cards and a pen usually sits there where someone can write down any Bible-related question they have and I'll do the study on it, and you know, by the end of the you know, end of the month, I will try to answer that for them in uh, a concise, biblical manner. And I did that when I was preaching in Mississippi as well. And I'll just give you an example of some of the uh, some of the questions I was asked. I have been asked if cremation is biblical, because as someone studied through the Bible, that's something that came to their mind, and they had uh, questions about it. I actually had uh, some young people in Mississippi ask me, did Jesus have a last name? And even ask me, how many children did Adam and Eve have? You know, so those are a list of questions that individuals may ask you. One question that I remember receiving at City Boulevard was, why are the minor prophets, if they're not in chronological order, why are they in the order that they're in? So as you study through the Bible and you start to realize certain things, questions are going to appear in your mind. Now, these questions can be questions about the Bible itself. It may be about the nature of God. It could be about baptism. In fact, baptism is one of those topics that I would dare say a number of people have questions about today. Some individuals will ask the question, well, what is it? What does it do? Does it do anything for me if I do it? You know, should I do it? And those individuals, they may not have the answers themselves, or they may not really know how to study the Bible to answer that question for themselves. So they're going to ask someone, what about baptism? What do I need to know about it? And they may come to you one day and ask the question, you know, what is baptism? Is it important for me? Is it something that I should do? Now, I have faith that 
uh, the individuals who are here this evening would be able to readily answer that question, you know, uh, the importance of baptism, but maybe it's the case that there's someone here this evening who may not know that. We need to be able to answer certain questions like this because if we can't, someone else is going to answer that question. And it may be an individual who gives the wrong answer concerning the subject. And so what I want us to do this evening is I want us to do kind of a who, what, when, where, why, and how approach to the topic of baptism. This evening what I want us to do is answer some questions that individuals may have concerning the topic of baptism. And the first question we're going to ask this evening is, what is baptism? And I'd like to invite you to find Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles as we take a quick look at what baptism is. Now, understandably, when we talk about this and other topics that are found within the Bible, what do we need to turn to to dictate that answer? Well, obviously, we need to turn to God's Word because God's Word is going to tell us what we need to know concerning uh, what's important for us. It's going to tell us uh, what we need to know concerning salvation. It's going to explain to us everything we need to know about the topic uh, of baptism. And so Paul paints a picture for us of what baptism is in Romans 6, verses 4 through 7. Now, looking at these verses, Romans 6, verses 4 through 7, we read, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed uh, from sin. There are three things I want us to notice uh, in these verses concerning baptism. Obviously, there's a whole lot more that uh, could be said from these verses, but I want us to notice briefly just three things that are found here. We first see the picture of death. In verse 4, therefore we are buried with him uh, by baptism into death. Uh, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man of sin is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Well, you know, we see a picture, first of all, of a crucifixion. Uh, yeah, a crucifixion. In those days when a man was crucified, he didn't hang on a cross for two or three minutes just to teach him a lesson. He hung on the cross for one purpose. He was going to die. And it has been said that the uh, death of crucifixion is one of the most painful deaths that any man can receive. But notice who it is that receives this death penalty, who it is that is being crucified. We're told it is the old man of sin that is crucified at this time. Literally, when we look at the old man of sin, that's the person that we were before. That's the person that we were before we made that decision that we wanted to follow Christ, that man that we were before we made the decision to be baptized. And so we put that being, that old man of sin, we crucified him in the act of baptism, that is, we put him to death. But there's also something else that occurs at this time. There's a barrier. Again, in verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 12, Paul wrote, uh, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And this further proves the statement that in baptism there is a death. Because what, if, what do you do with something that is died? Well, you bury it. You don't bury something which is alive. 
you can, but it's not going to be alive for very long. It's going to die shortly thereafter. But when we kill the old man of sin, we bury him. Well, what happens if we don't bury him? Well, the old man and the practices which he committed are still living within us. And that means we still do those acts of sin that uh, we should have stopped with the obedience to the gospel. And so we are to bury him and to keep him buried. But we also notice the fact that not only is there a death, not only is there a burial, when we are baptized, verse 5 tells us that there is a resurrection. Actually, at the end of verse 4, we finish off to say that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so uh, also should we walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. God's great plan uh, for his son was to face death and to be resurrected from the dead. And so as Jesus died and rose from the grave, we see a picture of his death in baptism. The old man of death, well, dies. We crucify him. And those actions that he committed die with him. And he is buried. That's the idea of finality. Those actions that he committed, that person we once were, he ceases to exist. Uh, we are changed, if you will. And then we are raised from the grave to walk in newness of life. Now, keep in mind, when Paul says that we walk in newness of life, that doesn't mean that there's going to be a change physically in us. You know, we're going to be the same person. We're still going to look the same when we come out of the baptismal water. You know, if it were the case that we were going to change physically, someone made a mistake when they baptized me. Anyway, uh, but there's a change, a different type of change in our lives. It's a spiritual change. We've been cleansed of our sins. We're no longer living that life which serves those sins. Instead, we're living our lives to serve Christ instead. In fact, Paul states that in baptism, we see a facsimile, that is an exact copy of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We die at repentance. We are buried in the grave of baptism, and we are raised out of that grave when the action of baptism is completed. And so when we ask the question, what is baptism, it is a death, it is a burial, it is a resurrection. Well, how is one baptized? And this is kind of a big question. How is one baptized? There, there are generally one of three different responses that an individual is going to give as to how we are baptized. That is, we're either going to be baptized, according to some people, they'll say we, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some individuals will say that we are baptized with fire. And, of course, some individuals will say that you are baptized in water. Well, what is used to baptize an individual? In fact, all three of these are mentioned in Matthew 3, verse 11, when John uh, the Baptist, speaking, of the, uh, the, uh, the, speaking to the fact that he's a foreigner for the Christ, said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with uh, fire. And so we have to ask the question, which one of these three is it? You know, keep in mind the fact that in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul wrote the fact that there's how many baptisms? One. Well, we see three mentioned in this verse. Which one of these three is the baptism that exists for us today? 
Now, some individuals will make the statement, well, it's the baptism of fire that we need. And uh, normally when they talk about the baptism of fire, the picture they give with that is very similar to the picture, you know, to the uh, picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and it's kind of like a fire, and what they'll do is they'll take Acts chapter 2 out of context. But really and truly, you can answer the question about what the baptism of fire is when you look at verse 12 here in Matthew chapter 3. Speaking of Jesus, John said, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John is giving a picture of the judgment day here. Uh, when I was in India, I actually had an opportunity to see an individual separating, not wheat, but rice uh, from chaff. Uh, it was a gentleman who was actually standing in the middle of the road where we needed to be, and we couldn't get past until he let us, you know, go past. But he had a tarp stretched out in the road, and he took kind of a, uh, a container and lifted the rice in the air, and as he began to sprinkle the rice out, he had a fan, and he just waved it across, and you could see the chaff flying off of the rice and the kernels. The good, you know, the good was just falling straight to that tar. Well, in giving this picture of the judgment day, John the Baptist said Jesus is going to take that which is good, and he's going to put it up in the store, and he's going to take the chaff, the undesirable part, and he's going to cast it into unquenchable fire. Brethren, when we talk about the baptism of fire, that's what he's pointing to. Uh, the final punishment of the wicked as Jesus is ultimately going to be mankind's judge. I've got to say, no individual should ever desire this baptism of fire. Because it's going to be the most unpleasant thing that anyone could ever experience. But what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, to better understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are certain scriptures which need to be brought before us in order for us to make a proper decision on the subject. Now, we consider one of the sets of scripture that's often used to say it's the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. John chapters 14 through 16 speaks of the promise of the Holy Spirit which is made, but we need to understand to whom the promise is made. You look at verses 16 through 18 of chapter 14, and we notice Jesus is saying, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be with you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Now, if we look at this verse without considering the context, this may look like a great promise that's given to Jesus for us. Hey, this is great. You know, whenever I feel like I'm in need of comfort, Jesus is going to send a comforter to me. Uh, he's not going to leave me alone. This is going to be great. You go to chapter 15 and you notice verses 26 and 27. But when the comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and he also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. You know, again, we look through that and we can have the idea, if we're not aware of the context, Jesus, not only is he, is he going to send a comforter to me, but this comforter is going to teach me all things. But there's a problem here. Notice what he said in verse 27. He said, you shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. 
Let me ask you guys this question. Have any of us been with Jesus since the beginning? The idea here is the beginning of his ministry. I don't know about y'all, but I haven't lived that long. And so if you take in the context of what's being said, he's not talking to us specifically. He's talking to another group of people. There's another group to whom this promise has been made. Well, to whom is he speaking? If you look at the previous chapters, we notice that Jesus is here with his disciples in the upper room. And at this time, Jesus is putting the minds of the disciples at ease because he's told them this really shocking bit of news. I'm going to die. They've been traveling with him all this time. He's been teaching them, and he's now telling them, I'm going to die soon. But I, I don't want you to be troubled at this news because I'm going to send to you, to who? To the disciples who's there with him at the upper room, his apostles. I'm going to send the comforter to you. Not a promise that's for us today. And that promise was fulfilled in Acts chapter 1, verses 26 through 2, verse 47. And it shows us that the promise was limited. It was for the apostles. Well, that leaves one other option. And that's water. And you can go through the book of Acts. And how often do we see individuals baptizing with water? Keep in mind Acts chapter 8. What is it the Ethiopian eunuch told to Philip? See, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? He didn't say, see, here's fire. He didn't say, well, the Holy Spirit's around here somewhere. He said, there's water. Water is the baptism uh, that we need to be baptized with today. But that brings up another question for us. There are some individuals who will teach that it is immersion. Some people will teach that it's sprinkling. That is, you sprinkle the water on someone's head and they're good to go. Or they pour water upon their heads. Again, we need to turn to the pages of the Bible to find out that answer. In John 3, verse 23, we read, And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. We notice that in Matthew 3, verse 16, when Jesus was baptized by John the baptizer, that Jesus came straightway out of the water when he was baptized. Even Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch had to go down into the water so that the eunuch could be baptized, and they both came out when it was completed, Acts 8, verses uh, 38 and 39. Baptism, as we've already noticed, is mentioned as a burial, Romans 6, verse 4, Colossians 2, verse 12. When you look at a burial, a burial is a complete covering. And so it seems that immersion is the way to go. Uh, you can even look at some outside sources in the Greek language uh, as far as words that are used to signify baptism as immersion. Uh, Josephus, in the Antiquities of the Jews, tells the story about Herod. And the Herod that I'm talking about is the one that we read of in Matthew chapter 2. He gives the position of high priest to a relative of his by the name of Aristobulus. Now, Aristobulus wasn't a Jew, much less a Levite, uh, so he had no right to be a high priest. But even though he had no right to fill that position, the Jews loved him. And Herod was a very jealous man. In fact, he hated the fact that the Jews did not love him as much as they loved Aristobulus. So here's the plan that he concocted. Herod, a few friends of his, and this young man by the name of Aristobulus went swimming together. And we read in Antiquities of the Jews, Book 15, Chapter 3, Section 6, that Herod and these other men 
dipped him as he was swimming and plunged him underwater in the dark of the evening as, it ha- as if it had been done in sport only, nor did they desist until he was entirely suffocated. Guess what word the word dipped is in the Greek language? It would be the word, uh, uh, the, the root word used there would be baptizo, uh, baptized. Literally, uh, it was written that this young man was baptized to death. They drowned him by constantly dunking him underwater. But again, even looking at uh, many instances in the Greek language outside of the scriptures, uh, we can see immersion uh, being uh, what needs to be done. I can even remember a discussion that I was having with a, uh, a young Methodist man uh, when I was still living in Alabama, and we discussed the topic of baptism, and we really didn't have the opportunity to have any uh, studies together, so we decided to have kind of email correspondence back and forth with each other on the subject. And I went over a number of different uh, arguments concerning the fact, and one of the strongest ones that I thought that I could show him was actually from a commentary that was written by John Wesley. John Wesley was the one that's attributed to beginning the Methodist Church. And in Romans 6, verse 4, talking about baptism being a burial, Wesley stated that uh, immersion, the apostles' archaic mode of baptism, archaic means old, uh, John Wesley recognized the fact that when we look to the baptism that's listed in the Bible, the baptism that was done by the apostles, it was immersion. Now, why he chose to do sprinkling over that which the apostles used, I don't know. I asked that young man, which baptism would you rather have? Would you have the uh, baptism that was used by the apostles? Men who were inspired by uh, God to write the New Testament, or would you rather follow the baptism of John Wesley? Of course, the response that I got back was, well, I think it's fine either way. The Bible gives a picture of immersion in water. Well, who can be baptized? I I think that's an important question that we need to ask. Who can be baptized? And I'd like to say right now, not small children. And uh, there are a number of reasons for this. The idea is given from the product of Calvinism. That's the idea that we all inherited sin from our parents all the way down the line to Adam. And that when we're born into this world, we're born blackened in sin. And, you know, I'll say this right now because I've kind of got an example here in the building. When I look at Addie, I don't see one whose soul has been darkened with sin. I can see an individual who's very innocent, very pure. And the fact that that's not even taught one with in the Bible. Uh, Matthew 18, verses 2 and 3, Jesus Uh, called a little child in front of him and set this child in the midst of his disciples and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, when we look at children, uh, they're so pure-minded, they're unbiased in nature, they show a joy that's really unmatched in this world. Christ said in our conversion, we're to be just like them. The heart of the Christian is to be pure as that of the heart of a little child. But children, because they they have no sin, well, they have no need to be baptized. And so I would have to say that anyone who is of an accountable age, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment, this person who's of an accountable age is someone who is taught 
and hears God's word. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gives to us what we understand you know, to be the Great Commission. When he says, Go ye therefore to all the world, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice what precedes baptism, teaching. An individual has to be taught uh, certain things before that person can really understand what baptism is. and there are a number of things that that person needs to be taught. It needs to be taught the importance of baptism. It needs to be taught the importance of the church. Philip taught the Ethiopian eunuch about Christ uh, before the eunuch was baptized. And so Jesus commanded the apostles to teach before they baptized an individual. Today, people need to understand that the decision to be baptized is really and truly somewhat of a weighty decision. And they need to understand what they're getting into. They need to understand that it's not just some real quick decision to make, they need to be taught and they need to understand what they're doing before they do it. Also, one who believes. Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And there are a number of things that that individual needs to believe. Tuesday night, I covered the fact that in our believing in Christ that we needed to believe that he was a historical person, that he was God in the flesh, that whatever he said is true, and we need to believe him enough to obey him. But we also understand that we have to have faith in the existence of God and in the promises that he's given, Hebrews 11, 6. We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But an individual needs to have belief in the Christ, belief in God, before that individual can make the decision to be baptized. This is also an individual that repents of his sin. In Acts 2, verse 38, after convincing the crowd that they had murdered the Christ, and many of them crying out, men and brethren, what shall we do? That is, what shall we do about our sins? Uh, Peter told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind. It's pulling a 180. You were serving sin, but now you've turned away from it, and you're serving the living God. And also one who confesses Christ may be baptized. Acts chapter 8, verses 37 and 38, uh, Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, what does hinder, I mean, here's water, what does hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Christ expressly spoke of the importance of confessing him before men. Matthew 10, verses 22 through 23. Now again, we think about that idea can a small baby do those things as with? To an extent, a small child, you know, an infant can hear certain things, but can they really understand? Not really. I would dare say to an extent, a very, very small child to, you know, an infant, would really to an extent have a hard time fully believing. What sins does an infant have to repent of? None. In all my... Well, I say all my years, I haven't been preaching as long as many have. I've never had a small child or an infant or a baby crawl down the aisle wanting to be baptized. But I've had individuals who are of an age where they can understand the depths of sin. They can understand what it's done to their souls. They can understand their need for Jesus in their lives and uh, the need to come in contact with the blood of Jesus. 
and their willingness to make a proper decision to serve him. Those are the individuals who are able to be baptized. We also need to ask the question, why must I be baptized? There are individuals today who are going to argue with you that the point is not important. Well, there's no real importance behind baptism. They'll tell you it's important, but it's not necessary. And in fact, I'll tell you one of the reasons why I made the decision to become a preacher. Uh, an uncle of mine uh, had died. He passed away from tuberculosis. And shortly before his death, apparently he had something he asked a preacher. I'm sitting here at the funeral, and I'm listening to this Baptist preacher preach my uncle's funeral. And I'm holding up strong at this moment. You know, it's my uncle. He wanted me to be strong. But I'm hearing this preacher preach. And he says, I want to tell you something that Bordy told me. Bordy came to me and said, Bordy was my uncle's nickname, by the way. His name was Marion. But, uh, he came to me and said, I want to be baptized. And at that moment, I thought, no, 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 no. Because I knew it was coming. But I told him, you don't need to be baptized. At that moment, my heart sank, probably down into the depths of my stuff. The only thing I'm grateful for that day is my uncle literally made that man baptized. I don't know why. He said, if you don't do it, I'll find someone who will. My uncle died a few days later. But there are a number of individuals today who will take the act of baptism and they will throw it down as being something that's not necessary for us today. The Bible shows us that baptism is absolutely important for all man today. Because it's something that was commanded many times throughout the Scriptures. Uh, one such instance is found in the book of Acts in the day of Pentecost. And again, we've talked about that already. You know, uh, verses 36 through 41 of Acts chapter 2, Peter plainly notifies these Jews, you killed the Christ. You murdered him. And this Christ whom he crucified are the exact words he used in verse 36. They realized the error of their way. They asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter commanded this group, repent and be baptized. He didn't tell them repent and you can think about being baptized. He didn't tell them that baptism was uh, the outward show of an inward faith. He said repent and be baptized. Why? Well, one, is by the authority of God. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's by the authority of God that this act is done. But why else? For the remission of sin. But they were commanded to do that. 3,000 obeyed the command of the Apostle Peter, and they were baptized into Jesus, verse 41. In fact, you can go through many instances of conversion in the book of Acts, and we read of baptism occurring. Uh, the Samaritans, Acts 8, verse 12. Simon the Sorcerer, Acts 8, verse 13. The Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 8, verses 34 through 40. Lydia, Acts 16, verses 14 and 15. The Philippian jailer, uh, chapter 16, verses 25 through 35. Those in Corinth, chapter 18, verse 8. Saul of Tarsus, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 16. And that's just a list of some of them. But the Bible also tells us that it gives us uh, the remission of sins. Again, Acts 2.38. People are going to start thinking that I'm just using this verse. Off. But uh, he said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. This is the remedy 
that an individual uh, needs to do in order to get rid of have his sins washed away. Paul stated that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And it's sin that's able to keep man from the ultimate goal that's in heaven, but in baptism we are able to have those sins washed away. Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias asked Paul, and now why tarryest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It puts us in the body of Christ. Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27 says, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Uh, Romans 6, verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Baptism puts us in the body of Christ. Well, why is it important that we find ourselves in the body of Christ? Because we're told that, uh, first of all, the body is the church. Uh, Ephesians 1, verses 22 through 23 tells us that Christ is head of the body, and that body is the church that we read about in the Bible. But that body, that church that we read about, if we are, if we are baptized into it, we're in the place where all spiritual blessings are found. Ephesians 1, verse 3 tells us that all spiritual blessings are found where? In Christ Jesus. If baptism puts us in the body of Christ, it puts us where all spiritual blessings are found. And keep in mind the fact that we're not voted into the church. God puts us there. Uh, we think at the very end of Acts chapter 2, you know, 3,000 were added to the church of the day of Pentecost. Verse 47, we read, After that, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts 2, verse 47. It saves us. I want us all to look at this verse together. 1 Peter 3.21. 1 Peter 3.21. I want us all to look at this. Because it's interesting the way that people will treat this verse. 1 Peter 3.21. In verse Peter 3.21, we read, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I remember when, before I made the decision to become a preacher, I was at Radio Shack with two friends of mine, and one of the nice things about working at that store in Alabama was the fact that my co-workers were Christian. And that was... Probably one of the best, you know, one of the best places I've ever worked in my life. But all my coworkers are Christians, and one day uh, we're trying to answer a question for someone. And to be honest, I know I myself didn't have the proper knowledge of the Bible that I should have. But I, I decided, you know, I wanted to really answer a question that someone had concerning baptism, and they used First Peter three twenty one as an argument against it. And I was trying to figure out how. And so we tried to, we used the internet, and we tried to find what we could, and we found the website of a very famous preacher whose name I'm going to leave out at the moment, but a very, very famous preacher, and he had an article on 1 Peter 3.21. And his focus on what it teaches was not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. What he said was, in baptism, it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. It's not a simple bath or something of that nature, but simply it's you showing that you've got a good conscience towards God. Again, the idea that he presented was it's an outward showing of an inward faith. You know what part he left out? Everything outside of that parenthetical. He focused on the parenthetical in the middle of the verse. We see the like figure whereunto baptism doth even now save us. Yes, it's not a simple bath. 
When you're baptized, you're not merely washing the dirt off your body. And yes, it is an answer of a good conscience towards God, but you can't ignore the beginning of the verse which says that baptism saves us. I like what Giant Woods said concerning these verses. He pointed to the phrase, like figure, which is in verse 20, concerning Noah and his family. And he made these statements concerning the two verses. He said that Noah and his family were saved by water. Well, how? In verse 20, he says, The waters of the flood bore up the ark and delivered the occupants from the destruction of the antediluvian, that is, the pre-flood uh, world. These waters separated uh, those who were saved from those who were drowned in them. The floods destroyed the evils of the old world and enabled Noah and his family to emerge into a new existence. Verse 21, he said, In like fashion, baptism is the final condition and a plan through obedience to which one is enabled to escape the condemnation of the lost. Baptism designates the line of demarcation between the saved and the lost. In baptism, the old man is buried, and from its watery grave, one comes forth to walk in newness of life. And he's got Romans 6, verse 4 there. It, in water baptism, we are saved as it was water that saved Noah and his family, we're saved in baptism. And it's not a future salvation. Baptism does also now. Baptism saves us now. Again, thinking back to the words of Jesus, he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Well, when, is, when and where is one baptized. When one realizes the need for baptism, I think it's important that individual, when he or she comes to a proper understanding of what they need to do, they don't need to wait. There's some, there some places that will have what they, you know, all right, so you want to be baptized, we're going to pencil you in, uh, we're going to have kind of a baptism day, and we're going to wait until we have a certain number of people, and once we got that number set up, we'll just baptize you all at once. Find it interesting, uh, again, we look at Acts 22, verse 16, when Ananias is standing before Paul, he said, And now why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I find it interesting that Ananias used the word tarryest. He said, Why are you waiting? Go ahead and do it now. Get up and be baptized now. Arise and wash away your sins now. When an individual understands the need, and they have the willingness to do it. They need to be baptized. There is a grave spiritual importance to this very act. And we ought not be willing to put someone off. No one ought to be willing to put it off. We receive the forgiveness of sins. We're added to the church, the body. We're added to the saved when this occurs. And if an individual is not baptized, then that person is not privy to the great blessings that are found in being in Christ Jesus. And so when someone realizes the need, it should be done as soon as possible. Well, where? Well, there's water. Well, there's enough water to baptize someone. And brethren, when there's a will, there's a way. I can't remember the war off the top of my head. But I remember hearing of a, uh, some individuals who were in the middle of a war in a desert. Well, there's not a whole lot of water that you can find in the desert. And some of these individuals... 
realizing their need for God, because let's be honest, when you've got bullets flying overhead, sometimes that will bring you close to the Lord. They realized through study that they needed to be baptized. But there was no water present. So you know what they did? They built trenches in the ground, deep enough to fit a bottom. And then they put tarps inside those trenches. And so you know what they did after that? They filled the tarps with water. And the tarps held the water in place where they could just baptize each other uh, in order for the act to be done. And so it needs to be done in a place where there's enough water to immerse an individual. But as I mentioned, where there's a will, there's a way for it to be done. So what we've done this evening is we've looked at various questions concerning baptism. What is baptism? It's a death, burial, and it's a resurrection. How is one baptized in water, immersed? Well, who can be baptized? One who hears, believes, repents, confesses Christ. There's one other thing that I think is important to, be meant, to mention there. That individual also needs to live a life of faithfulness until death. Uh, Revelation 2, verse 10. <laughs> well, why is it important? Well, it's commanded. Uh, we can look to the conversion to the book of Acts and see how often baptism was used. It, it gets us the forgiveness of sins. It puts us in the body of Christ. It saves us. When and where? Maybe there's someone here this evening who's here and they haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ. They haven't been baptized for their mission of sins. Why not make the decision to do it tonight? Brethren, we'll do what we can to help you out in that instance. But if you haven't done it, and you understand that need, why not do it tonight? Why not make the decision to put on Christ in baptism and have those sins washed away so that you can live, you can start your life as a Christian in faithful service to God? Why not do it tonight? Maybe there's someone here this evening who, they're here, but they haven't been living a life of faithfulness. We know if we repent of our sins and ask God to forgive us, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And it may be the fact that there's someone who isn't living as they should. If it's something that's uh, been done in private, you can take it to your private closet of prayer to God and keep it between you and him. Or maybe it's something that's been made public and the confession needs to be made public, not because we want to judge you or we want to look down upon you, but to follow the example that's given to us of Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. Maybe there's just someone here this evening that's discouraged and they're in need of encouragement. Maybe there's someone who would like to respond to the gospel of Christ. If you have a need this evening, please make it known now as together we stand and as we sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. No other love I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, my God, and this might be nothing but the one.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.